Chapter 37 of The Story of the World, A Simple History for Boys and Girls. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Andy Glover. The Story of the World, A Simple History for Boys and Girls. By Elizabeth O'Neill. Chapter 37. The East of Europe in the 17th Century In the second half of the 17th century, the Turks began, once more, to trouble Europe. They had been troublesome in the 16th century, and Don John of Austria, the brother of Philip II of Spain, had won a great victory over them in the famous Battle of Lepanto. Then, for almost a hundred years, they had left the European countries alone chiefly because there was much trouble and disorder in their own empire, which now had its capital at Constantinople. In the year 1656, the Turks seized Transylvania. It was the eastern part of the Kingdom of Hungary, but it had become an independent little state. The Emperor Leopold helped the Transylvanians, and the Turks were driven out, but Transylvania still had to pay tribute. But the rule of the Emperor Leopold was much disliked in the part of Hungary still belonging to Austria. And some years later, the Hungarians rebelled. The Turks thought this was a good chance to attack Vienna. The Emperor begged John Sobieski, the brave King of Poland, to come and fight for him. Sobieski had already, some years before, fought against the Turks, who had taken a province from Poland for the Turks had all the Mohammedan love of conquest, and, whenever they were not weakened by disputes among themselves, were a great danger to Eastern Europe. They were always brave, and their great armies fought desperately. But fortunately, they were never disciplined like the armies of the West. And when a European army under a good general fought with a Turkish army, the Europeans could always win. While the Austrian commander was waiting at Vienna for Sobieski and his army, and the Turkish army was coming nearer, he ordered that all the houses in all the suburbs round the city should be burnt, rather than that the Turks should be able to rob them. The Turks came up and began to besiege the city. The tents of the Turkish commander, made of silk and embroidered in gold and silver with pearls and jewels, could be seen by the Austrians as they climbed the spire of the cathedral to see if Sobieski was coming, for the people were sick and starving. At last he came, and the people in Vienna could see with joy the fireworks which he set off on top of the hill, four miles away. In the morning, the Christian army under Sobieski heard mass, and that a great standard of red with a white cross was set up. We have not come to save a city, but the whole of Christendom, said Sobieski. To him it was a new crusade. The Turks prepared for battle by killing thousands of prisoners whom they had already taken. Then they faced the army of Sobieski as it rushed down the hill upon them. Many were killed, and the rest fled away. By evening, Vienna had been relieved. John Sobieski was as humble as he was brave, and when the emperor thanked him afterwards for his help, he bowed and said, I am glad to have been able to do you this small service. The Turks still fought for some years after this. Whenever the best of the Austrian generals were busy fighting against Louis XIV, 
but Prince Eugene, who helped the Duke of Marlborough to win the Battle of Blenheim, fought them several times, and at last, in 1716, they made peace and were quiet once again, for a time. Austria got nearly all Hungary back again, and Poland, too, got its lost province back. Prince Eugene had been helped in his struggle with the Turks by the ruler of Russia, the Tsar, Peter the Great. Peter the Great. It was under Peter the Great that Russia first became important among the countries of Europe. It was a very large country, but it had no sea coast, and the only way its people could reach the west was through Poland. The people of Russia were chiefly Slavs, though many Tartars had become mixed with the people, and the ruling family of Russia was descended from northern Vikings. For more than 200 years until the end of the 15th century, the Russians had been ruled by Mongol or Turkish conquerors, and then had become free again. But Russia was hardly civilized at all before the days of Peter the Great. He was a very wonderful man. He was anxious that Russia should learn all the things which the Western nations knew, and should become important among the countries of Europe. Above all, he wanted to win the lands on the Russian side of the Baltic Sea, which had been won at different times by Sweden. But the sea could only be useful to him if the Russians knew how to build ships. So Peter made up his mind to go himself to Holland and learn how ships were built. He sailed to a place called Zandam in Holland, and there he dressed himself like a Dutch boatman with a short jacket, a red waistcoat, and wide Dutch trousers. He lived in the one-roomed cottage of a Dutch workman, whom he had once known in Russia, but he was very noticeable with his tall figure and handsome face and long curly hair and crowds of people began to press round him as he watched the shipbuilders at work. So he fled away to Amsterdam and was allowed to work in the dockyards there. He helped in the building of a ship from beginning to end, and then the city of Amsterdam presented him with it. Peter was delighted. He called his new ship the Amsterdam and sailed back with it to Russia. But he did not yet know all he wanted to about shipbuilding, and later... When William III sent him the present of a ship, Peter asked if he might come to see the English dockyards too, and so he did. When he got back again to Russia, he taught the Russians how to build ships too. Peter wanted to live as near as possible to the west, which he admired so much, and so at the mouth of a river running into the Baltic Sea, he built himself a great new city to be his capital instead of Moscow his capital in the east. The new city was called St. Petersburg, and it has ever since been a very important and beautiful town. Peter got together an army too, and took back Scottish soldiers to help him to train it to fight like the armies of Western Europe. Peter was quite absolute, and he easily made the people do things as he wished. He was head of both church and state in Russia. He got some of the German states, which did not like Sweden, owning the German part of the Baltic coast, to join him in winning all the coast back from Sweden. But the young king of Sweden was a very brave and wonderful person too. He was called Charles XII. Charles was only 18 years old when he left the Swedish capital Stockholm to fight Peter the Great and his German friends. He first went against the king of Denmark and easily conquered him. He then marched against the Russians under Peter the Great, who were besieging Narva, a town on the Baltic. 
The Russian army was not used yet to war, and Charles easily drove them into disorder and took Narva. Then he marched into Poland and took the throne from the new Polish king, Augustus of Saxony, for Sobieski was now dead, and made the Poles elect a Polish nobleman as their new king. Then Charles made up his mind to attack Moscow, but his men suffered terribly in the severe cold of the Russian winter. Peter the Great did not attack him, but fell on the Swedish armies, which came afterwards, to join their king and destroyed them. He then marched across Russia, too, to where Charles was besieging a place called Poltawa. Charles was wounded in one foot, and though he tried not to let anyone know, his men saw blood dripping from his boot. He could not lead his army against Peter, but had himself carried to the battlefield. But Peter won a great battle over the Swedes without their leader. Charles escaped into the land of the Turks, and tried to get the Sultan to help him against Russia, but he would not. Then Charles heard that his possessions on the German coast of the Baltic had been taken by the German princes. Peter the Great had won the eastern part of the Baltic coast, and for a time there was a chance of his joining with Charles to help him to win the German part back. But Charles had now to go to Norway, which he hoped to join to Sweden, and there he died in 1718. He was only 36. When he was a boy he loved to hear about wars, and especially about Alexander the Great. He would say that he wished he could be like him. Someone said to him, Yes, but he only lived thirty-two years. The boy answered, That does not matter, when one has won an empire. Charles XII was not much older than Alexander when he died. He had not won an empire, but he had gained very wonderful victories. With his death came the end of Sweden's greatness. Sweden was really like Holland, only fit to be a second-rate power. The one country was too small and the other too poor to be long among the most important countries of Europe. But for a time certain peculiar events had made both countries very great. Peter the Great died seven years after his great enemy, but Russia went on becoming more important and is one of the great powers in Europe today. End of chapter 37